0: Before we start, I just want to share some exciting news. Love Hurts is doing two live shows in New York City on July 13th and 14th. My guest on the 13th is Adam Wade, a 20-time Moth Story Slam winner whose recent album, Live at the Magnet Theater, made it to the top of the iTunes comedy charts. My guest on the 14th is Ophira Eisenberg, the host of NPR's Ask Me Another and author of the book Screw Everyone. You can find more information and in a link to buy tickets at Pod. Com. Hope to see you there! This is Love Hurts. I'm Brian Berlin. My guest today is Craig Mangum. Craig is a storyteller and designer living in New York City. Craig talks to me about his experience growing up Mormon, getting a girlfriend, and going on his mission, all while struggling with his sexuality. By coming out, he could lose a lot of the things he loved most. This is Craig's story. Craig, thanks so much for being here.
1: Yes, excited to be here.
0: I'm excited to have you. Uh, yeah, what is the story that you want to talk about
1: today? Uh, yeah, I guess this story, um, in a way, I, th- I think you could call it my first love, my first love story. Uh, the the first person I ever dated.
0: Yeah. Yeah and where does it all begin okay so yeah <laughs>
1: um, yeah so the the this person's name was sarah is sarah she's still living yes. luckily <laughs> yeah she's wonderful didn't change her name no at no any no point. <laughs> uh, and i met sarah when i was a freshman at brigham young university in provo utah um, she had come into the dorm room riding a scooter, like a Razor scooter. Do you remember <laughs> yes, Razor I had scooters? A razor yeah. Scooter. Uh, so did all of us. I think yes, when we were thirteen. Was, yes. So for Sarah, and she held on to yeah, her for a to be, years <laughs> to like roll in into like a college dorm in a maybe five years after the prime of the Razor scooter. Yes. speaks to the amount of confidence that Sarah has. She's absolutely uh, excellent in that sense, and she um rolled in on a scooter that was covered in uh, pictures she had taped onto it facebook photos she had taken offline printed out and then you know like scotch taped onto her razor scooter of the guys in the dorm next to me she was uh (laughs) like try i think this was like her freshman version of seduction okay okay. (laughs) yeah she was like trying to impress them think that they were cool and i remember just looking at that scooter covered in these pictures just being like this girl is a freak and I love her. (laughs) Like she is amazing. And I just knew uh, we would be friends after that. And and one of the things that we kind of prided ourselves on was that neither of us were from the state of utah yeah Uh, yeah so obviously brigham young university sarah and i were both mormon okay
0: so you're both mormon but not from Utah. we're
1: both mormons but not from utah which means you have a very different upbringing from those around you uh there's something that we call the book of mormon belt it's kind of our version of the bible belt right and so the book of mormon belt is idaho utah nevada arizona kind of this line of heavily mormon states yeah Yeah. kind of running
0: like parallel to the rockies exactly
1: (laughs) yeah Uh, uh, and that is just, I guess, like the homeland of my people. Okay. Uh, both of my parents actually are from Utah, but I was raised in Ohio and Sarah was raised in Virginia. Okay. And so um, in predominantly Mormon places, uh, kind of like the the Mormon path of life, the, the coming of age, things are the norm. But outside of that, like you are the minority. You know, I went to high school with maybe, there may be two other Mormon kids in my high school. And so that was kind of like my main differentiator from my peers. It's the thing that, I think uh my identity kind of latched onto. Yeah.
0: Like yeah. you were
1: the Mormon kid. Exactly. At exactly. Yeah. And so not only are you like hyper aware of how your Mormonism functions, but also you are um, I guess more aware of other people who are different from you. Like yeah. I knew a lot of kids from Idaho who would probably never met someone who I don't know, was Jewish or Catholic. You know, they had grown up in almost entirely Mormon towns. And so, Sarah and I, I think our uh, identity was maybe a little like superior to that of our classmates and and probably not a great way, but also just something that immediately connected us in terms of like disposition to the university. Yeah. You had that like already thing
0: that you connected on before you kind of even knew each other. Exactly.
1: Like, Like, we love to look around at our classmates and be like, whoa, this is so (laughs) Utah, you know?
0: Yeah, they don't know anything about the outside world. (laughs) Exactly.
1: Exactly and I mean that kind of manifested itself in the activities that we would do together I think our first I don't know if we we had called it a date but our first kind of get together we went to a meeting of the BYU vegetarian society it was a presentation on PETA and it was sponsored by the BYU democrat society and okay yeah if you know Mormons <laughs> at all those are like the most non-traditional yeah, where they're just like 10 people yeah there. they were like 10 people all very much like preaching to the choir about the opinions <laughs> they've already formed about the world. But uh it was hilarious. And we got these like I remember getting these like pete pro Pita sticker packs about like instead of cutting K- KFC it would be like Kentucky fried cruelty and all these <laughs> things. And we just thought this was like so hilarious. Uh and yeah, I don't know. We just kind of we meshed. More than anything it was um She was just so smart, like so brilliant. And I loved talking to her. And she was one of the few people who I knew I could like lob a joke out there and she would just kick it right back with like a delightful spin (laughs) to like keep it going. Yeah, it was a love of banter for sure. But um, as happens with many young, especially BYU freshman romances, there's kind of like a clock looming over you. Because at the end of your freshman year, it is common to go and become a Mormon missionary for two years. For young men in Mormonism, missionary service is considered a commandment. So like, you really don't have a choice. You are Culturally expected to, religiously expected to go and like do your two year stint,
0: and that's always sort of when it had, like it's always like at nineteen or whatever, is it?
1: Yeah. So, um, so it was very common do one year at college, then you would um take a break and yeah, yeah, yeah. be off for two years doing that. Uh, women, on the other hand, it's not a commandment; it's more like if they choose to go, they can go. So, but they weren't able to go until they were twenty one. Oh, okay. So there is this odd like lag time, and it creates this really interesting dynamic where. Lots of couples like will date their freshman year, but then one of them, the man, usually leaves to go and be a missionary. And it uh, there's this like culture of women at BYU who are like. 20 to 21 22 with men living in other countries that they're writing letters to every week but they're like unavailable to date as a result <laughs> they call it having a missionary is the term yeah okay so, so
0: there's an actual like
1: it's like a term it's a cultural phenomenon so
0: people are like single with somebody or like having a having a missionary is having its own a version missionary.
1: of dating exactly like if someone were I, I don't know presumably to have come up to sarah during that time uh she could have said to them oh i have a missionary yeah and all would have been spoken like yeah. they would have understood exactly what she was saying that's
0: very interesting Uh,
1: uh, interestingly enough we didn't have like the talk before i went so maybe she would have been like yeah let's go on a date but uh, (laughs) some people actually do put up very like specific rules around what they like will and will not do while their missionary is away yeah you know so that kind of um tempered our relationship in an odd way where um, I mean at the time both believing Mormons Sarah wanted me to go wanted me to fulfill my duty to our church do what we thought God wanted us to do and so she would never have like asked me not to go or say oh are you sure about this obviously Um, and at the same time I didn't really feel the need to like lean into the relationship completely because I wanted to like do what she wanted me to do as well you know it's like this weird instance where all of us are trying to live up to our expectations and it prevents you from saying what you're actually feeling and thinking yeah
0: because there's just like a bigger thing that is existing with the relationship with your church right that's kind of like it it definitely controls a little bit of your actions and it's it it like makes you think a certain way because that's what you've been working like that's your upbringing
1: totally totally and i think this is like a good time to say as well that like i am and was gay (laughs) like (laughs) like no question about it definitely knew definitely (laughs) was gay (laughs) um and i think that's just really interesting to say in the context of like a story about falling in love with a woman yeah um because the way i was taught of, like first of all i had a very i guess like a uh, sexually sheltered childhood to the point that though i recognized an attraction to men in my mind i thought oh like maybe i'm just bi you know like i didn't yeah think. i just like people yeah, yeah i like people and then also you always if you have no experience at all you're always able to tell yourself well you don't you don't know yeah right and so almost like in keeping the teachings of mormonism i was able to just like go way too far into it before actually discovering for myself like oh this this doesn't work
0: yeah you just kind of let your actual feelings be ignored because of your upbringing
1: again exactly and in a very odd way in so doing that i was actually being like the best mormon i could be yeah that's what's really i think complex about this situation that like In following the religion, I was almost like sowing the seeds of undoing my involvement in the religion.
0: Yeah, you were kind of just like setting yourself up for failure just because of who
1: you are. Exactly, exactly. And so the way in which, you know, so Sarah has this odd role in all of that, right? Because, I mean, I don't doubt for a second what we were feeling for one another, but it was tempered by the fact that, like, um, given that I was going to be a missionary, like, you you aren't supposed to, you know, be, like, making out or having sex. Obviously, you don't have sex before marriage as Mormons. And so, um, again, like, we went through so much of a relationship with actually, like, no physical yeah. intimacy involved in it.
0: Yeah, there was a real emotional attachment. Exactly. you weren't dealing with that other part of it. Exactly.
1: And so I remember the last day of that semester, I had received my uh, mission assignment. I was going to be going to Bolivia, and I uh, was going to be first going to a training center. It's called the, the Missionary Training Center in Provo, Utah, for three weeks to um, learn Spanish, <laughs> learn what in three weeks to learn <laughs> what missionaries course. do before I would be going to Peru for additional training and then eventually getting to Bolivia. Sarah was, uh, I don't know if she was so, she she didn't articulated at the time, but I went home for about, you know, two weeks to essentially like pack and get all my affairs in order to be off the grid for two years. Yeah. Uh, mind you, when you go and become a Mormon missionary, you you do not watch TV, you do not read a newspaper, you are able to have computer access for one hour a week to email your family. And in those circumstances, it's only your immediate family. Sarah and I would have to write letters by hand for the next two years. And so our we knew our communication would be highly limited. Um, but She very like cleverly managed to get herself a job in the missionary training center for those three weeks that I would be there. (laughs) She was a food server. So I would be going like as a missionary in that training center, you literally just study for about nine hours a day and then pray the rest of the time. And when I would go to lunch, Sarah would be working the wrap counter. <laughs> and it was this like very confusing thing because you are, the word is, the term is set apart as a missionary. You are thought of as to be like almost out of the world, though yeah. in it. It's I guess it's like the Mormon equivalent of taking like a novitiate vow of like in a, in a monastery. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's like you're not like the full blown deal yet, but you're like, you're, you have, there are certain rules that are in order. OK. And so I was like nervous. Like, can I go talk to her? Like, this is my friend. I feel like I'm breaking the rules. This is very, very weird. And so I would just and I, I didn't really like raps, <laughs> you know. but like one or two days, I think of those three weeks, I would go over and I would say hi. And mind you, I was trying just to be such a good missionary, but all I wanted to do was like sit down and gab like yeah. we always would. But the the formality of our circumstance kind of prevented me from doing that. Uh, then it was my my time to go to Peru was coming up it was like the last day or so and out of nowhere I'm sitting finishing lunch with all the other missionaries and I feel someone sit down next to me and I turn and it is Sarah and I just say oh my gosh what are you doing hi and there's a there's a like you're not allowed to hug people of the opposite gender as a missionary okay and so I just like feebly extended my hand and she shook my hand and when she shook my hand, I felt a piece of paper in it and I knew I'm like, Sarah is up to something. So I grab (laughs) it and I immediately put it in my pocket and she just says, I hope you have an amazing two years. And she gets up and leaves. Later that night, uh, I guess I have to preface this with we had started to joke that we would be like epic in our correspondence with each other. And we we said it would be like the great correspondences of history, like John and Abigail Adams was our specific model for this. And so I get back to my apartment that night and I pull this piece of paper out of my pocket and it's a small folded square. And she just writes, um, Dear John. And then on the inside, it just says, I will miss you terribly. And on the back, it says, love, Abigail, as a joke. It's very cute. It was very, very beautiful. And to, like, you know, again, our chaste woman minds, this was, like, the yeah, epitome of yeah, love. You were, <laughs> we were you on, like, there. the peak of
0: romance that you could be doing at this point in time. Exactly. So, I guess it's, like, even if you didn't have that, like, are we going to be together talk, like, you had kind of said that you were going to be connecting over this Definitely. entire time.
1: Yeah, I think... And I think part of that was that I didn't want to feel like I was limiting her while I was away. Yeah, you don't want to
0: be like, all right, well, you can't talk to anybody exactly. while I'm gone because I'm the guy for you.
1: Yeah. And so a lot of ways it was just kind of let's let's just let this be an unknown. And if we, you know, th- there were no restrictions, I guess. on yeah. us. And so I leave, I go to Bolivia and we start writing and... uh so people when, when you're a Mormon like your friends especially your non-Mormon friends they're like oh we'll write you all the time it'll be great we'll stay in touch that lasts for about three months if you're lucky you know by month six you are just you were forgotten like no one really writes you other than your mom like your mom is consistent but your friends yeah maybe occasionally I
0: like I spent two I'd like spend a few summers working at a summer camp mm-hmm. for like two months and whatever and people would always be like oh yeah write." Well, I don't think I ever got a letter yeah, from, no. I think one time I got a letter from somebody at home and that was two months,
1: so. Yeah, and yeah. so rarely is it that you, like, hear from people. There are, like, weird Mormon cottage industries springing up to, like, facilitate community, where you can email, and they'll print the email and send it to them. <laughs> like, people are just so not letter writers anymore that yeah. that has been developed. That's crazy. Yeah, and so, um, but not Sarah. Like, she was shockingly consistent. And mind you, the mail in Bolivia is not the most consistent thing in the world and my mission was a weird one in that uh there were some political problems while i was there and i was emergency evacuated to peru so i then spent 10 months in peru before going back to bolivia and sarah like kept up on my movement somehow she i believe had to call like the headquarters of the mormon church and find out where i was got a new address she was determined to say the least yeah and she would write me honestly like um 25 page letters front and back that would just outline everything about her life the classes she was taking the jobs that she was having uh she would ask me about what i was doing but the best part definitely was that she had this perfume that i just loved it was versace's bright crystal was the specific brand and i remember it because i was so in love with it and she just would spray each page with this that i just found so like intoxicatingly delicious and mind you like the villages I was in, very often open trench sewer system. Like, I would get whiffs of things you could not even believe. And then to be able to, like, go home and just bury my face in these leathers <laughs> would not only remind me of her and of this world I had left behind, but just also, like, all the comforts of, of yeah. home. and. It can be really lonely you know you are there for two years not talking to anyone other than the like this random person they've assigned you to be with you don't get to speak in your native language which um can be a very like isolating experience as well because even words feel differently it's like hard to feel like you're expressing yourself in a way that feels real and authentic and so it just meant the world to me to be able to have that communication with her
0: yeah, so, and with everything else, it so with like the actual mission itself and being isolated and being in these tough environments, like yeah. were you questioning what you were doing at all? Like did you have that struggle
1: in terms of believing in Mormonism yeah. or being like, shit, I, I'm still I guess, gay? <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess both, right? Because
0: yeah. it's all tied together in a way, right? Yeah,
1: it is. It definitely is. Um I I can say, and again, as someone who no longer practices mormonism or believes all of its truth claims it's odd to say this i like i believed it so deeply like so profoundly deeply it was real and true and if i didn't if i had doubts or if i didn't understand it it was my fault not its fault yeah like you
0: weren't working hard enough or whatever exactly
1: exactly and so um i really never like especially as a missionary had doubts about its truthfulness uh, during the experience, I still knew I was gay. Yeah. <laughs> but I kind of thought, like, if I worked hard enough, maybe when I got home, God would, like, magically make me more attracted to, and I'm not even going to say women, I, Sarah. Yeah. Then. Men. You know, again, I was, like, in this, like, weird, like, hopefully I'm bisexual phase. And I
0: just thought... Yeah, and you knew you had strong feelings for right,
1: her. Exactly. And the way you're taught about Mormon missionary work is the idea is, like, you are learning... You are learning how to work hard. You are learning how to sacrifice. And that is what is required if you are going to, I don't know, like, be blessed or, like, receive God's mercy in your life. Yeah. And so it was... um I thought just as much as I'm learning how to work hard and like teach people about Mormonism, I'm also learning how to like do perform the sacrifice that may just be required of my life in order to be married to Sarah. Yes,
0: like it's a it's a stepping you're, exactly. Yeah, you're We're, on a journey.
1: Yeah, exactly. it, but like in retrospect, what an awful way to think about like <laughs> your potential love life. Like it will be a unending sacrifice that I need to be ready to give. like that's not yeah. the way love is this supposed is gonna to work. be maybe
0: a miserable experience
1: but <laughs> but I can do hard yeah, things yeah. You know? like that's just not that's not the love life I want anyway um, but at the time that's what I thought it would be uh so yeah I I think Another really important thing about the gay question as a Mormon missionary is, again, you're, you're celibate as a missionary. You are not yeah. to date. You are not to have romantic relationships during that time. But when you come home from your Mormon mission, uh, you are incre- you are pressured to m- marry as quickly yeah, as possible. Like settle down now and start settle a family. Settle down, start a family. And then any, I guess... Uh, position of responsibility in the church it very quickly becomes tied to whether or not you are married oh so it's not only just like culturally expected to be married it is uh like almost a qualification in order to hold further leadership positions
0: so yeah i mean that's a lot especially even if you're not questioning your sexuality it's like to not have any sexuality and then it's like now you want everything now it's everything
1: exactly and so and then it's so i guess my time as a mormon missionary was like the last time in my life where my contribution to my religious community was not connected to my orientation yeah and um be like i i don't know i i can honestly say like it, it was one of the Best experiences of my life. Like I don't even to this day, I do not regret the decision to go. Yeah, uh, at all. And um, it and that's again a very complicated thing to say when like I I no longer believe <laughs> yeah. in many many things about it. So I I, I guess I came home uh, and I was. i for like two years of letter after writing? Two years of letter writing, and I was just so so excited to see Sarah. Um, she was living at home in Virginia. And she actually, the the day or the day after I got off the plane, she was in a a really bad bike accident. Oh wow! A, like a really really bad bike accident, and she had fallen over the front handlebars of her bike and she had lost all of her teeth and had had to have like kind of some reconstructive surgery related to that so I got off the, the plane I immediately get a cell phone and I'm like texting this person and yeah. trying to call her and she's not picking up and I'm so confused and I'm like really really worried about what's going on uh, and then I found out and it was so sad to hear her say that she was horrified that after so long of writing she was she thought I wouldn't love her because of how she now looked um, and that was like really, really tough to hear. And I kept trying to reassure her that that wouldn't be the case, that it would still be wonderful. But we had about two months before we would be seeing each other back at school.
0: Yeah, so it was sort of tough for you because it was like you were back and yeah. you could
1: see her, but there was this like this thing keeping you from exactly. Each other. And so by the time that we got to school, I mean she had gotten a prosthetic placed in her mouth, and so her teeth actually looked great. I couldn't really tell. It would still take another month before I actually got her to take out the prosthetic and like show me the extent of the damage. But um, it was wonderful seeing her again. I was so, so happy. But um, I remember that first official real date back and just knowing like in my gut, immediately feeling like this isn't you don't love her. The way she deserves to be loved. You don't love her fully.
0: Yeah, and now there's that new pressure on you. Exactly,
1: and so it, it was. It was so tempting because it could have been such a storybook romance, at least as Mormons think of it. You know, we've written our our you know our, those two years. We had met freshman year at BYU, and now I was coming home like this knight in shining armor, and it would all work out. But I started to have to ask myself some like really serious questions. Um, I should say that I have had family members who have married people who have later come out of the closet. Yeah. And so in my life, I've kind of um, seen models of how, uh, I don't know if this is a commonly used term, but Mormons call them mixed orientation marriages where one person would identify as one sexual orientation and another person as another. Uh, I had seen those examples. And in, in the specific case, I'm thinking of it had ended in divorce and, um, though the the family has really, like, I guess overcome that challenge, uh, I always wondered if there wasn't like undeniable resentment in the kids that were born to that marriage and the partners involved. And like, could I knowingly bring someone else into that? Like, what's my responsibility to Sarah in this instance? Do we make this plunge together and hope that it work that it works out, or like do I need to be honest? I decided that at very least, I, I I kind of wanted to tell her, but I was I was too afraid to. Yeah, and so I did um like the worst thing, you know, as I look at it now, and that was I can I I devised a plan to get her to break up with me. <laughs> um, so we went to a party held by one of her very close friends, and I uh, purposefully uh, pretended to flirt with the friend the entire night. Oh. Yeah. So if you can imagine like the emotional labor of writing someone 25 page letters for two years to then turn around and like see him very visibly, you know, interested in someone else. uh, It was just a super deep betrayal. And we were riding home in the car that night. And Sarah just said, like, what the hell was that? You know, she just called me on it immediately. And I played dumb and coy. And I was just like, what? What, what are you talking about I did that awful thing where you make her feel like she's crazy yeah uh, yeah it's it's really like fucked up and abusive yeah, and, kind of, and, knowing, and you
0: knowing what you had oh, done yeah. the whole time don't and, lack self awareness yeah. there
1: I knew exactly what I was doing uh, and she I mean I guess she didn't break up with me but she just stopped calling you know to her credit <laughs> she did not put up with uh, that that treatment and um It took, it was about a month later that she called me and we just went and got dinner. I think it was like her attempt to reestablish some sort of friendship after the fact. And her friend came with us. So it was even more kind of diluted. And over the course of that, um, that dinner, her friend started to talk to us about how her brother had recently come out of the closet and how she was very worried about him. And, um, I started to respond and I prefaced it all with, oh, like I have an uncle who's gay and I do. And I did. And, um, I kind of was responding as oh like I'm sure he feels like this I'm sure he feels like that yeah and and, uh I didn't really notice but Sarah and her friend were kind of like wait what like These are very insightful answers. So Sarah kind of coordinates the departure from this dinner in a very creative way in which she would be driving me home alone and the friend would be going her separate way. Yeah, they
0: had this whole like Ocean's Eleven (laughs) style thing that they had set up to make this all.
1: Exactly. So Sarah like gets to my apartment and I'm about to get out and she just says, "Um, Craig, I'm only going to ask you this once. I go, okay. And she says, are you gay? i think i answered no and she goes no like she freaks out she's like what does that mean no and she's like you don't answer that question with no you know the it was the question mark that got her uh and she said get in we're going for a drive and so we drove around byu campus for a while it's like i just feel the weight of 22 years of the closet like decompressing and exploding and it's horrifying and scary and i'm crying she ends up parking at the parking lot of the provo mormon temple which is like this huge mammoth of a building on a hill that they light 24 hours a day okay. so it's like
0: pitch black but this bright white yeah its like the most god that could be being thrown exactly. at you exactly
1: and mind you like i am so conflicted about what i believe at this time i'm confused and to have like this physical symbol of Mormonism like outside of our car window so every time I talk about like the conflict with Mormonism I can point to it and be like I'm leaving this like I think I'm horrified of leaving this just made for a a really dramatic impact yeah Uh, but Sarah just proceeded to listen you know she asked me a few questions like what was I thinking feeling when did I know how did I know but she just like she really just kind of sat with me and this was this was the first time I had ever told anyone who was not a Mormon religious leader that I thought I was gay, that okay. I was gay. And she just listened and listened and listened. And she cried with me. <laughs> she was very compassionate. Um, and yeah, she dropped me off that night and I felt like this kind of weight was off my shoulders. Um, it, it took some time because um, when I told her we were still, what I would say, emotionally in love with each other. Yeah. And just like all breakups, like you have to break up before you can kind of get back together as friends. And so I think Sarah and I went through like a a two-month, I would say, phase where we didn't really communicate nearly as much and i'm guessing that was her time as well as my time yeah. in a lot of ways i mean it
0: seemed like yeah it's a lot for her to deal with too
1: yeah like your mindset just really has to shift in how you relate to someone but after that time um she invited me to dinner and it ended up being like this whole day long thing And uh, she, in the meantime, somehow had just made friends with gay people who I didn't know even existed at BYU. And so she like very tactfully and in a way that like was not horrifying to me, like introduced me to my first gay friends. Wow. Who are like still my friends to this day. Um, We call it the BYU underground. It's like this group of just like gay, lesbian, trans, queer, you know, bisexual, atheists, divorce students, agnostics, like anyone who for any reason doesn't fit like that narrowly defined Mormon mold. They kind of find a way to connect with each other. And she like introduced me to them.
0: Yeah, it was it was your own like second iteration of the vegetarian Democrats. (laughs) exactly. I I got another club that we can of outcasts totally
1: and so i'm just so grateful to her in a lot of ways because um i don't know if i would have ever been able to have found that group on my own and to find people who think like you are questioning what you're questioning and yeah. facing the same like wait what does my what will my family say and think like it it makes all the world of difference
0: yeah because it felt like for you i mean just admitting it to somebody for the first time was a big deal And then, yeah, and, like, in that environment, it would have been very isolating had there not been other people to be able to connect with. Because it's like you would have just been left with your thoughts and not really known what to do with it. did you really come out? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) and, like, what does this mean? That Like, yeah, not knowing kind of, like, what the next steps are, like, who you were. And it feels like, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, I guess it goes back to that initial connection that you had had for that long for her to know. yes this person can't love me in the way that maybe I wanted him to but I you know the feelings that we had are still real on that emotional level and it's I mean it's really cool that she was able to still like look out for you in that scenario
1: I mean I think everyone in their coming out process probably has some very like unglamorous moments and that's why it 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 speaks to her character that she was really able to like see what was at stake and um I don't know. In a lot of ways, be just so so selfless and kind, yes. compassionate in her treatment of me, because like she could have looked at that and said, "You lied to me for two years. You oh, yeah. pulled me into something that I never wanted." You know, like think of how cruel she yeah, would have justified. Yeah, you me along.
0: You like all this stuff. Yeah, I could
1: easily yeah. see that. But again, to her credit, she did not. Um, and so, yeah, in one of those people that she introduced me to ended up being my first boyfriend, who I dated for a while, and. um her and him got along excellently, so <laughs> she yeah she was just always always there. Towards the end of our time at BYU, Sarah herself began to experience like a lot of doubts and questioning about Mormonism, and I felt in some measure I was able to repay the favor as she began to like doubt the faith and in, in her own way and own process uh, leave Mormonism as well. Uh, but then the real kicker was about I don't know how many years after the fact it was probably been maybe eight eight years since, uh, one day I got a call and I picked up the phone and it was Sarah and we were catching up and she said, I have something, like I'm very excited to tell you. And uh, she was telling me that she had just started to date a woman. <laughs> and um, it, it, it had been quite a journey for her, but yeah. Sarah now does identify as lesbian. And wow. uh, she has, it, it's been a small way that I can uh, kind of repay the, the the gesture that she showed me to to talk to her about that experience and be with her as she's kind of been going through that
0: yeah because you know in a way you did all those things first and then you were able to kind of help her along yeah that it's like a journey.
1: beautiful beautiful like two sides to the same yeah. coin journey for us and I, I don't know. I, I more than anything, I just love it that we were both in such profound denial <laughs> that like we almost got married. Which yeah, like you could have yeah. you could have easily been in a scenario oh, where you totally. got married and like had kids. And yeah, then... and then like hey, we're like not even in. Two yeah, years neither other. of us are into the other person in a yeah. sexual way. I mean, I guess that just really speaks to the uh, the power of Mormonism. How, yeah, that's know, you know, it's a good, it's a, a convincing force in the lives of many. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah thanks so much Craig that of was course.
0: great yeah thank you um, yeah people is there any do you have like a website or anything if people want to find out more about you or follow you anywhere
1: yeah uh, my website is craigmangum.com uh, yeah that, that that works I'm also on Twitter and Instagram craignmangum.com there's a liquor lawyer in Texas who stole all oh, of them <laughs> <laughs> but yeah this is how is how we fight for something that's right
0: love hurts is produced hosted and edited by brian berlin theme music by mickey Hommel. show art by caroline Mallon. you can find love hurts on apple podcasts stitcher google play or wherever you get your podcasts if you like the show Rate and review it on Apple Podcasts, and tell a friend about it. You can find Love Hurts on Instagram and Twitter at lovehurtspod, and our website is lovehurtspod.com. Here's a preview of what you'll hear next week.
1: Hey mom, you gotta wake up, I'm having a baby. And she's like, you're not having a baby, you just have cramps. It's like, well, okay, I know that's what I said, but actually, I've been pregnant for nine months, and I'm having a baby, and it's right now, and I am covered in blood, and we need to go to the hospital. I'm Brian
0: Berlin, and this is Love Hurts.